After a one-week break, This Journey Is is back with another episode continuing the learning journey about American football. It's off-season at the moment, but that doesn't mean that things have slowed down on the learning side of things. Firstly though, thanks very much for the feedback that I have received. It meant a lot and was encouraging. Also, just a quick note for any background sounds that you might hear on this episode. My mascot, a gold Labrador, may be wanting to put his point of view forward on occasion, so you might hear that from time to time. Now, on with this episode. One of the main methods of scoring, and certainly one of the exciting plays within the game, is the touchdown. So what is a touchdown, and when can it be ruled not one? Touchdowns are scored in an opposing team's end zone. If even the smallest part of the ball crosses or breaks what is called the plane of the goal line, meaning the space on, above or across it, and the player is legally carrying the ball, it's a touchdown. The ball doesn't have to make contact with the ground, although it did prior to a rule change in 1989. It took me a while to find an explanation of what legally carrying the ball is. I eventually found this. Having established possession by controlling the ball and having one or both feet or another part of the body on the ground. In the plays that I've watched, controlling the ball means not letting it hit the ground. The player can hold it in their hands or against their bodies or even in the act of a catch do both of those. Even if they're scrambling to hang on to it, it's still considered having established possession. If the ball is caught and then controlled by an offensive player who has crossed from the field of play into the opposition's end zone, that is also a touchdown. The pylons or field markers at either end of the end zone are considered part of the plane and if the ball touches one of those as it's carried across the line, it's also a touchdown. The ball is considered dead once the touchdown occurs. While touchdowns are normally scored by the offensive team, as Super Bowl 50 showed us, the defensive team can also score a touchdown if they can force a turnover by either intercept or capitalise on a fumble and then control the ball into the opposition's end zone. These are rare though, so deserve celebrations when they happen. If special teams can control the ball into the end zone, that is recorded as a touchdown too. So basically any play legally taking the ball into the opposition's end zone scores the six points awarded in a touchdown. How they get possession of the ball and what position they play doesn't matter. After an opposition touchdown, the scoring team get to try for an extra point by kicking a goal or a two-point conversion by carrying the ball across the line again. I'm going to check if the same applies to when a defensive touchdown is scored, and we'll let you know next episode. But tweet me at This Journey Is if you already know the answer. I thought I might talk a little bit about the equipment that players use, as it's such an integral part of the game. I see players suit up with a variety of protective gear, and thought it would be a good idea to see what it had to be. 
In researching equipment, I can say that it has changed a lot over the years. Progress has been made in materials and specifications, but there has also been items introduced in light of incidents that have occurred on the field that either have or had the potential to cause injury to players. Some equipment varies in the levels of competition, but the basic items remain the same. The NFL and NCAA games have a long list of do's and don'ts about sponsorship or manufacturer promotional material, but I didn't note this in the lower grades. If a team gets a sponsor, I've no doubt promoting it would be in everyone's best interests. The rules state that the helmet and mandatory padding are intended to provide reasonable protection to a player while reasonably avoiding risk of injury to other players. Helmets must be worn with all points of the chin strap fastened and a face mask of rounded, non-transparent material attached. Clear plastic eye shields are optional. Even tinted eye shields can be worn but must have approval of the league first. In the NFL, the QB can elect to have a radio in their helmet so that the coach can relay play details. If there is a radio operating in the helmet, it should have a green dot on the back to indicate that a radio is being used. Shoulder pads. These consist of a hard plastic outer shell with a shock-absorbing foam padding underneath. They accomplish two things for a football player. One is that they absorb some of the shock of impact through deformation. The pads at the shoulders are strung on a tight webbing and deform on impact. And secondly, they distribute the shock through a larger pad that is designed to regulate players' body temperatures during games and practices and protect against injury. Other body padding, hip, thigh and tailbone pads, are made of plastic and protect the hips, pelvis and coccyx or tailbone. The pads are inserted into pockets of a girdle worn under the football pants. Thigh and knee pads are made of plastic and inserted into pockets constructed inside the football pants. Punters and place kickers are not required to wear thigh and knee pads. Mouthguard. I think you'd have to be nuts to play any impact and some non-impact sports without a mouthguard. In addition to protecting the teeth, good mouthguards should be able to absorb some of the shock or impact to the head to help prevent concussion. Jerseys. These identify a player's team and name and in some positions can refer to the role that they play on the field. What I mean by that is that certain roles are restricted to certain numbers and you would be able to identify a player's role using the numbers, naturally by their position on the field as well. The jerseys are primarily nylon and spandex as that helps prevent other players from grabbing or holding by the jersey. They have to fit big enough to cover all the padding previously mentioned, but then be taut to the player's body, which can be done with using methods like Velcro, double-sided tape inside the jersey, and elasticised sides. Some jerseys even have buckles. 
the jersey must be able to tuck into the pants and remain there for the whole game. Pants. As mentioned previously, pants have built-in pockets to hold some protecting padding, which is usually placed in the pants prior to putting them on. They are usually nylon and spandex to fit tight and have a lace-up fly, as a zipper would be unlikely to survive the wear and tear of the game and have the potential to cause injury. That being said, they usually have a belt and these can have a metal buckle or rings, so the potential would still seem to exist in some circumstances. Stockings. In the NFL, players are required to wear stockings, which must cover the entire area from the shoe to the bottom of the pants, and must meet the pants below the knee. The exterior must be solid white from the top of the shoe to the midpoint of the lower leg and approved team colour or colours from that point up to the top of the stocking. Stockings cannot be altered, such as overstretching them, cutting them at the toes or sewing them short in order to bring the line between the solid white and the team colours lower or higher than the midpoint of the lower leg. Some kicking positions have less restrictive stocking requirements. Other levels of competition didn't appear to have stocking rules, but if they do, and you know them, then tweet me at This Journey Is and let me know. Footwear, which is known as cleats, have soles that consist of spikes, known by the same name, that provide traction on grass. Cleats can be removable, as in the spikes called cleats, can be removable and therefore can be tailored to a player's role or preference. Apparently, cleat size and length can also be altered depending on the conditions. Longer cleats provide better traction on a wet field. Shorter cleats provide greater speed on a dry field. Oh yeah, and let's not forget the jockstrap. They wear them too because it's important to protect the next generation of players. I can see why all teams would need an equipment manager and why that person or group of people's roles would be so vital. In addition to making sure that everything is in place or more importantly taken on the road as need be, they would have to monitor items for repair and be all knowledgeable when it came to the fit, comfort and preference of players. Sounds like a pretty cool job although I wouldn't like all the cleaning. Something else I thought I might talk about this episode was the NFL Scouting Combine. The NFL website describes the event like this. Each February, hundreds of the very best college players are invited to the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis, Indiana, where executives, coaches, scouts and doctors from all 32 NFL teams conduct an intense, four-day job interview in advance of the NFL draft. They provide a breakdown of measurable drills, but here is a quick overview of what players would need to go through. There's a 40-yard dash, which is timed. They have to do a bench press, a vertical jump, a broad jump, and a three-cone drill, which tests an athlete's ability to change directions at high speed. 
There is also something called a shuttle run. And it tests the athlete's lateral quickness and explosion in short bursts. All of those items, when you think about it and you look at a game, especially the vertical jump or vertical leap, um, are so much part of the game that it, it makes sense that these items need to be recorded and tested. There's been a range of information comparing this year's athletes' players to previous ones and um, especially with the 40-yard dash, the, the speed of that compared to previous players and where those players are now. But can you imagine what a job interview? Attendance is invitation only and approximately 330 men will attend. There are several Australians going, yay, go Aussie! Not being invited to this event doesn't mean that a player won't get drafted but it's a good opportunity for draftees to be exposed to all of the teams at this stage of the process, especially if they do well. I've listened to a number of shows and podcasts about who the persons to watch are, but it would be fair to say that I don't know one from the other yet. So I'll just say again, go Aussie and be watching the list and then the draft with interest. Now for today's Lingo Recap. Plane of the goal line. This is the area of or above the end zone line, including the field markers at either end, that once broken is considered a touchdown. I just wanted to provide a quick sack update. As we've covered previously, sacks is, is when a player is able to tackle and pull down the quarterback of the opposing team. But a sack is also credited when a defender causes the quarterback to fumble the ball at or behind the line of scrimmage. That's known as a strip sack. So they don't actually have to tackle them to the ground. They can cause them to drop or fumble the ball. If a passer is sacked in his own end zone, the result is a safety and the defending team is awarded two points. For this week's mascot of the episode, I'll just say I think the Labrador has been pretty well behaved, although you've probably heard the occasional input from him. So on to the other journey that we're taking, the beginner's journey. The feedback that I received was really nice, but I'm struggling to promote the episodes and get new listeners. I've had more listens with the first episode, which makes me wonder if something about that is not encouraging listeners to come back for a second try. I haven't asked this in previous episodes, partly because it wasn't until last week that I got iTunes set up. If you're listening to this episode, I would appreciate feedback in any form, even if it's to say, well, this is the reason I don't want to listen anymore. There's a ratings method on iTunes and I would really appreciate it if you rated me there, good, bad or otherwise. I've been mapping out what I'm going to cover for the next couple of episodes. That's allowing me to prepare my research and also progressing the knowledge that I'm learning but retaining the logical steps and using the ground covered to move on to the next thing. So wrapping things up for this episode... If you would like to be in touch, please don't hesitate. The contact details are email. This journey is at gmail.com. 
Twitter at This Journey Is, and the website is thisjourneyis.wordpress.com. Okay, that's all from me for this episode. Take care and goodbye for now from This Journey Is.